Hello, and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. It's Wednesday, October 4th. I'm Amanda Rabinowitz, host of the Shuffle podcast, Applause Performances, and All Things Considered at IdeaStream Public Media. We are at the Happy Dog in Gordon Square for the City Club's monthly Takes On series, and tonight it's a special form. The City Club is celebrating 10 years of Happy Dog Takes On the World, a community series where City Club members and friends participate in conversations covering global issues, politics, and more. To mark the milestone tonight, we will discuss the important role independent venues serve for our communities as third spaces, as well as the live entertainment ecosystem. For many small to medium-sized arts venues, the last few years were some of the toughest to navigate. The COVID-19 pandemic, the supply chain struggles, and the contracting of the global economy all played a part, and many venues struggled to stay open or were forced to close down permanently. And ultimately, support from COVID-era stimulus packages saved the industry from mass collapse. Independent venues play an important role as community spaces for social engagement, but they also generate jobs and contribute greatly to economic activity. Joining me on the stage is Cindy Barber, Executive Director of Cleveland Rocks, past, present, and future, and owner of the Beachland Ballroom. And for the first time on the City Club stage, Sean Watterson, co-owner of the Happy Dog. <laughs> and president of the Ohio chapter of the Independent Venue Association. If you have a question for our panelists, you can text it to 330 541-5794, that's 330-541-5794. Members and friends of the City Club, please join me in welcoming Cindy and Sean. It's great to have you both here, and Sean, to have you on the stage here at your own venue is, is pretty special. I want you to start off, you know, we are all pretty well aware of what the last few years have been like. I want you to start off and talk a little bit about where things are now. What is the state of this local ecosystem of independent venues here in Cleveland? Um, Amanda, thanks, thanks for doing this. Uh, and thank you for doing the shuffle. Um, yeah. It's one of the things that has been uh, a contributing factor to how difficult the environment is, has been a loss of local media, uh, specifically coverage of local music. So the fact that the shuffle is, is out there and shining a light on the music that, that is being made and performed here is uh, invaluable. So thank, thank you for you. that. Um, the state of, of the live music um, ecosystem is split. Uh, there was a story that ran on Marketplace uh, maybe two weeks ago now that talked about the difference between uh, what people see in Taylor Swift and the fact that she her tour has, has impacted the U.S. economy so much that the Fed uh, is estimating that it's a $5.5 billion impact. And you saw all the stories about the thousands of dollars people were spending on tickets and traveling to the cities that were lucky enough to have those shows. Uh, the reality in places like the Happy Dog uh, in Cleveland and all across the country is uh, things aren't back to where they were in 2019. And for a long time, we thought, well, we're just not out of the woods yet. We, we were riding it out, thinking things were going to come back. I don't think that's the case. 
I think things have, have changed permanently when it comes to the community level spaces. And, and that has implications for democracy too because one of the most exciting things about spaces like this is, is that it's full of people, different people, old and young, rich and poor, um, different socioeconomic statuses, race, gender, gender identity, all of that stuff is what makes spaces like this energized and exciting. And, and it feels like all of our separate communities have not come back together. So that's a lot of me starting it off, but that's host privilege, so. Yeah. Cindy, what are you experiencing at the Beachland? Um, I think younger people are coming out for certain things. Um, but we are still experiencing, you know, post-COVID, uh, what we call, it's a whole new term. It's called drops. So if you sell, you know, 400 tickets and 25 people bought those tickets and don't show up, that's 25 drops. And then we're reporting that back to the booking agent and the tour. Um, so that's a new statistic. That's all post-COVID. Um, so that's kind of where I think it's what Sean is saying. People have gotten used to staying at home. They've gotten used to different types of entertainment that they had to um, figure out during COVID. And they're just not out of that habit. So that live entertainment is not as urgent as um, for some people. Um, you know, and problem with Cleveland is that we're, we are still sort of um, a small market in some ways that we don't have the same volume of people that Chicago has, but we probably have almost as many venues and almost as many cultural choices every night. So there's, you're spreading those people that are willing to go out much further along. Yeah, and inflation, I'm sure, has had a big impact on that too. Yeah, I see that a lot, that people are choosing what they have to spend. And part of the problem with tours and uh, is that it costs more to tour right now. So the, the bands and the booking agents are pushing you to increase ticket prices, and that's causing some you know, pushback and yeah. resistance. Go ahead, John. And, and I would add, too, you know, inflation hits at, at all sorts of levels. Wages have gone up in, in this industry, whether it's for the people behind the bar, uh, the people in the kitchen, uh, the performers on the stage, and, and that needed to happen. Um, but the whole, the whole system needs to be sustainable because the cost of the beer and the hot dogs has gone up as well. And in addition to that, uh, consumption habits are changing. You know, we're seeing a lot more people, you know, it's not legal in Ohio yet, but that doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of people on edibles or vaping and not drinking as much as the business was built on years ago. Yeah. And so all of that is, is an adjustment and, and it's difficult being, being, especially on the smaller side of that ecosystem, to make those changes on the fly. Uh, just fears about uh, consumer reactions on that kind of stuff uh, all play into not wanting to raise prices. Because we also know we do make 
culture and community accessible. I mean, that's part of why we're here and we're not out there producing Taylor Swift shows. We do it for a different reason. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to say next is just, you know, people say, oh, it's nice to have a music venue in your city, an independent venue, but, but when we talk about these third spaces, what, what do they mean to the fabric of your communities? Well, I can't tell you how many people met at the Beachland and got married. Yeah, <laughs> I bet, I bet. That's so true. I know that... But, but I mean... Yeah. That's true. But also, if you look at the Waterloo Arts District, mm -hmm. it exists because the Beachland's there drawing tens of thousands of people a year to that district. So, yeah. so the restaurants and the galleries that have opened around the Beachland, and that's... That's years into the decades of work building that up. And the same thing's true. If you, if you look at our community, the, the Gordon Square Arts District, yeah, the Happy Dogs bringing people out every night, just like Cle Cleveland Public Theater as a performing arts organization is, is doing something similar. Coventry would be gone if it wasn't for the grog shop. Mm. Um, and then you look to Lakewood, uh, whether they're in Birdtown with May Halls and Winchester, these spaces anchor neighborhoods and, and it brings people to live in these neighborhoods, it brings people to dine and shop. Uh, Neva National Independent Venue Association, when we were advocating for relief through the Save Our Stages campaign, we relied on a study out of Chicago that showed for every dollar spent on a ticket or a cover charge to a live event, it generates $12 in economic activity in the immediate surrounding neighborhood mm -hmm. that night. Mm. Um, and, and you know, arguments like that were helpful in convincing both sides of the aisle of the importance of spaces like ours. Mm -hmm. uh, that got us the money to survive that closure. Yeah, and survive is the key word. That money's gone now. It's been spent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we, we were very fortunate with the Shuttered Venue Operator Grant Program. You know, the federal level programs, the employee retention tax credit, those sorts of things. Um, we were also very active advocates on our behalf uh, with the county. And when the county was allocating CARES Act dollars, mm -hmm. uh, we were able to work with the traditional arts and culture sector and say, we're struggling too. So instead of all of the money going to arts nonprofits, uh, in that round, a third of the money was dedicated not just to live music venues, but also to the independent musicians and artists who were suffering. Uh, come around to American Rescue Plan Act and the county increased that percentage to, to half the money. So, you know, there, there's, a, there's a learning process along the way um, in accepting that what we do is arts and culture when it comes to handing out the dollars, not just celebrating the, yeah. the city. Yeah, Cindy, how far did, did that aid that you got during the pandemic go? Well, it, it definitely saved. Um, our existence. I mean, we kept a very small core staff of five people during COVID, and you know we were we were able to um, 
reopen with the reduced capacity and tried to get people back as fast as we could. And the only reason that we were able to do that really was because of the financial support we got. I mean, I guess to me, um, pre, I mean, the, the music industry has been changing for a while. And um, even pre-COVID, the beach line was in trouble. Mm. I mean, in 2019, before COVID hit, I mean, the costs were going up. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to predict, uh, you know, running a music venue is legalized gambling, really. <laughs> um, you are bidding on shows and you're trying to get shows into your venue over somebody else in the city or Columbus. Oftentimes right now, we're competing with Columbus or some other local city. Um, and it's all who it can bid the, the highest. Wow. So when you have to bid and you are spending $8,000 for an artist and you only get $5,000 of ticket sales, and then the city takes 4% of that for admission tax, and you're paying BMI and ASCAP and CSAC and all of the things that you need to do to put on a show, you're looking at you know a $4,000 loss that night. Wow. Um, and you can't sustain that for very long. Yeah, so exactly. it's, it's a matter, in my opinion, you know, Cleveland and all of our small venues, um, you know, we just really need to change the culture here of like that live music and live entertainment is valuable um, as much as our sports teams. And there has to be like a, a city pride in, in supporting not only, you know, the national acts that are coming through, but our local acts that are really um, rising stars. And, you know, I grew up in an era where that was happening, right? And people were getting signs in national labels, like Michael Stanley and um, Raspberries and yeah. just dozens and dozens of people back in, in those early um, 70s and late 60s. And I just feel like what that's what I'm trying to do with the nonprofit is to kind of educate people and the, the ecosystem just needs to be a more higher level yeah. focus. And that's through Cleveland Rock's past, present, and future. I do want to talk a bit about this Cleveland Music Census, just announced this week. Sean, tell us a bit about what is going to be taking place starting this month with this census. Sure. Um, yeah, so, you know, all of the problems we've been talking about, um, we, need, we need data to talk to people to figure out how to solve these problems. And we haven't had that data since 2011. In 2011, uh, what was then the Community Partnership for Arts and Culture, Assembly for the Arts is, is sort of its successor organization, did research. It was a report called Remix Cleveland. And we were able to use the information about that, which at the time said that music was close to a billion dollar a year industry in Northeast Ohio. Um, we were able to use that to go to the city of Cleveland and advocate for a reduction in admissions taxes. Yeah. Because without that reduction, we would be looking at an 8% admissions tax. And those taxes are that high because we built the stadiums for the pro sports teams. 
uh, we're looking at what can we do to return some of the money that's being paid on live music events to our industry. Because the money that's being paid in admissions taxes on sports tickets is going back um, in multiples uh -huh. uh, in improvements to, to those stadiums. Mm -hmm. So, um, getting off the soapbox. The, <laughs> the, what we're excited about is that we've, we've partnered up with a group out of Austin, Texas called Sound Music Cities. Uh, this group was founded by uh, Don Pitts, who was the first person to head up the city of Austin's Office of Music Economy. So he's been in government and he's understood how local government can help uh, with policy to help a, a, a local live music ecosystem. Uh, what we're going to be doing is in, at the end of this month, we're gonna send a survey out to anybody in the music industry in Northeast Ohio. So not just the venues and the performers, the staff that works at our places, but the production studios, the sound stage and lighting companies, the manufacturing plants, because we, we have one of the vinyl pressing plants in existence is, is based here in Cleveland, got a groove, uh, to really capture the the breadth and depth of what the music industry is here in Cleveland, greater Cleveland. So with that, with that information, um, we hope to be able to go to county government and city government and say, look, these are real jobs. This is really important to the life of the city, whether it's the economic life or the cultural life. Uh, and this is something that, that is at risk. And we need interventions to help make this continue to be something valuable. And there's an opportunity. One of the nice things about this study is Cleveland is one of 20 cities yeah. uh, undergoing this census project uh, through Sound Music Cities. So we're sharing information with other cities and finding out what's worked in other places. We're also finding out where we have strengths where other people don't. Because I think a lot of times we are not good at understanding how good we are at things and telling the rest of the world that story. Right. So this is a way for us to be able to tell that story to ourselves, understand how it fits with New Orleans, Nashville, mm -hmm. Chicago, Louisville, Sacramento, um, Greensboro, North Carolina, all of these other cities that are part of this, this music cohort. So, yeah. so we're really excited about it. And, and the phase we're in right now is we're reaching out to any business organization or group that has contact with people who work in the music industry, and we're signing them up as community engagement partners. All that really means is you're gonna help us get this survey out to make sure that we're capturing your people. Uh, we wanna capture every community in Cleveland um, so that we, we have this depth of knowledge. And, and for those community engagement partners, we want to be able to share this information even before we share it with the public yeah. so they can see what, we're, what we'll see coming out of the survey. Yeah, so the goal is to really measure the ecosystem here of our independent venues. Cindy, what are you hoping comes out of this survey? Well, one of the things that um, 
Don Pitts has been very, we, we just had a meeting with him. We have a weekly Zoom call with him at three o'clock every Wednesday. So um, one of the things that he's kind of pounding into our brains is that this is gonna bring all these people together. Uh, we're going to learn how big our community really is. Um, I think that, you know, Chattanooga did something like 1,400 surveys. I think Greensboro, or no, um, Sacramento did 1,500. Um, Austin did 3,900. So um, I don't know if we can get there. But um, I think we have a lot of people in this community that are related to the music industry, and we're really going to be able to measure that. And then we're going to have kind of a communication with these people and we'll be able to kind of continue that that we were just talking about today is like an ongoing alliance of these music communities to me I, I mean I just got back from Americana and um, went to the panels down in Nashville Nashville is like really struggling they've kind of mm. gone overboard in my opinion um, mm. in that that a lot of venues down there are really getting shut down because developers have come in and bought property and kicked them out. Wow. Um, so th a lot of the historic venues in Nashville are in danger. And <coughs> But there's, I was at a panel where they have started a state uh, office of music economy yeah. um, in at Tennessee that just started five months ago, kind of following in the footsteps of Texas, which is the leader, which is why Don is so valuable because he comes from Austin and where this whole movement in some ways started. And in Texas, they just, uh, this uh, Brendan Anthony is an amazing uh, head of the music uh, office down there and they just, after a six year fight, got a sales tax rebate for uh, real music venues down there um, to $100,000 a year, which would, if that was something that we could implement in Ohio, that would go a long way to save some of us and keep us going. And Columbus is gonna do this music census as well. Um, there's a lot of activity in Cincinnati with Bootsy Collins creating um, a, a nonprofit and helping people. So I think that tying those three cities together and adding Youngstown and Akron, we could really get some things happening for Ohio in general. Yeah, I, 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 we're gonna get to questions in just a moment, but I, I just wanna take a moment and just say how fortunate we are here that the two of you, and I know that there's many others in the region who have formed this unified front. And I know it started before COVID, but really during COVID is when you all have come together and really all fought this fight together. And I think that that's really gone such a long way. I, I would say, you know, one thing that I think is, is unique to Cleveland and part of why we are good at collaborating is the majority of venues in Cleveland are women owned. Mm. So you've got Cindy at the Beachland. You've got Kathy Blackman at the Grog Shop. Uh, Rose Saffos, who used to book here at the Little Rose. You got Emma at No Class. You've got Ray Gentry at the Foundry. If you go down to Akron, you've got uh, Jill Bacon Madden at Jilly's Music Room. Really, the, the, the climate here, the venues here are, are, are mostly majority women run. And you know the women are smarter we're actually able to work together where some other cities 
there's a little bit more competitive edge to it as opposed to collaborative. So I think, I think Cleveland has advantages um, on, on a lot of levels, and that's one of them. Yeah. Cindy, what have you seen from this partnership that you all have? Well, I, I, I think that women want to take care of things. <laughs> want to take care of people. We kind of right. baby musicians. <laughs> um, you know, I think that, that we've, we really, that admission tax uh, fight really hit me hard. Um, you know, Peabody's, the Beachland, Pickwick and Frolic, we all got just hit yeah. because they brought in a consultant to decide where things were getting missed and bring more money into the city of Cleveland. And um, Henry Lacani called me up and said, Cindy, we're going to fight this. And we had meetings um, every week at the Agora with Henry, and he brought all of us together. And it was just inspirational. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was fun just because every it's all a bunch of venue owners, so the meeting never started on time. So I showed up <laughs> on time because Hank Lacani has incredible stories. Yeah. And so you would be able to hear these amazing stories of this, this icon uh, who ran venues in Russia. Uh, there yeah. was an Agora in St. Petersburg. <laughs> Uh, he produced David Copperfield shows in, in Kiev and Moscow and uh, just these insane stories, uh, which is the fun part of the business. Yeah. And, so. and I think that in some ways that's our legacy because, which is why it's so important to me because I, I'm old enough to have lived through it. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that we had, we were breaking records here. We were, you know, I there were people who were working in the industry behind the scenes all over the country in very important positions and they came from Cleveland, Ohio. I mean, that's why we have the Rock Hall here. Mm -hmm. And um, that story doesn't get told often enough. Yeah, and the, the results from the Cleveland Music Census in the spring? Um, I, I, I think the census will probably be open through uh, it'll probably close a little bit before the holidays, and okay. then so we'll we'll take some time to compile that information, get the data, get some recommendations coming out of that. So I would I would look to February, March, uh, which means April, um, in terms of data coming out of that. That said, there's there's going to be valuable things coming through through the process. I mean, part of part of this too is you know we we've, we've got the rock hall here in in the room, they are embarking on a, on a massive, awesome expansion, $135 million expansion, uh, locking Cleveland in as, as a Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city. Uh, but everything else needs to be there. Yeah. And uh, uh, there's so much we can do and we have been doing with the Rock Hall. And I think, uh, you know, one of the things that we've been doing just recently is getting the Rock Hall's help, the, the IT department in the Rock Hall, helping get our shows uh, at the venues in Cleveland uh, ultimately listed in Destination Cleveland's calendar um, so that we can really market what we do here 
to people from outside of here. And, and that kind of stuff happens when you've got a partner like the Rock Hall that's willing to step in and provide resources and, and be supportive. So um, that's something we have that nobody else has. Yeah, that's true. a really great point. I do want to start shifting to our question, uh, our audience Q&A portion. So for our live stream audience, for those just joining us, I'm Amanda Rabinowitz, host of The Shuffle Podcast, Applause Performances and All Things Considered at IdeaStream Public Media, and joining us for a panel discussion on the important roles of independent venues for our communities and live entertainment ecosystem is Cindy Barber, Executive Director of Cleveland Rocks, Past, Present, and Future, and owner of the Beachland Ballroom, and Sean Watterson, co-owner of the Happy Dog, and President of the Ohio Chapter of the Independent Venue Association. If you are here with us in person, you can line up next to the microphone to my left and ask your question. And if you're joining us virtually or are perhaps a little microphone shy, that's okay. You can text them to 330-541-5794. Again, 330-541-5794. And Cynthia with the City Club will try to work them in. So we welcome your questions. We're gonna start with a text question. Um, the first one we have is, we see venues like Nighttown close up shop, and suddenly people realize what they've lost. How can we get people to pay attention before it's too late for iconic venues like the Happy Dog, Grog Shop, and Beachland Ballroom before it's too late and they close? That's a great question. Um, I, you know, I mean, we, we're trying our hardest to create solutions. I think, you know, we've been talking about a music venue trust. I mean, the Beachland owns its own building. Um, some other venues do not. And uh, one of the things that we're talking about is, you know, how do we do that? I, I mean, I think that people need to not take venues um, for granted that if you want to see music in the future, think about their situation. Just ponder and look around. You, you know that there's, like every time you go to an outdoor festival, go to, then go pay, buy a ticket and go to an indoor space. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, you know, Cindy brought up the music venue trust and uh, I've been a big advocate of that. We, we brought um, Mark David, who heads up, he, he's really the leader in this space. Uh, he runs the, the UK Music Venue Trust because all across the United Kingdom, they are losing grassroots music venues because property values have spiked over there and it's, it's a low margin business anyway. So space, Rooms that, that don't own their building are, are getting pushed out or even if they do own are getting priced out because of increases in property taxes. So he came up with this concept of the UK Music Venue Trust and actually yesterday they purchased their first building, um, the Coffee Club Cafe. And that movement is beginning to catch hold here in the US but it's only catching hold in the cities that have already priced music out. So like Seattle, Nashville. San Francisco, and Austin, Texas are the places that have created cultural land trusts, not, not specific to music venues. Um, and I think in a place like 
like Cleveland, it's not just music venues that are at risk. It's it's uh, it's cultural spaces. So and it's Sokolowski's. Yeah. We lost Sokolowski's. Yeah. So you know that that what makes Cleveland Cleveland our cultural identity that stuff's at risk because that's not necessarily the highest profit margin stuff out there. What where we are where Cleveland is ahead or can be ahead is our land is still relatively cheap compared to Seattle, San Francisco, and Austin. Seattle's raised $17 million in their cultural land trust, and they have only been able to preserve four spaces. And I say spaces because it's not buildings, four spaces. $17 million in Cleveland, Ohio would, would cover buying all of the buildings that all of the music venues you know are in right now. But that's, yeah, that's... That's looking forward. Like if we're planning for economic development yeah. and all of the all of the grand plans we have for riverfront and lakefront development, but then also all the work that we're doing through the Cleveland Talent Alliance to try and get people to uh, relocate their businesses here or grow businesses here. Um, you know, if that works, that's just that much more pressure on all of this stuff. So let's let's raise that money now and, and secure those things now so we're not in a situation like Nashville that's lost six independent venues since COVID because of commercial redevelopment. Yeah, and I love that there's the, all those different ideas that, you know, it's not just writing a check. There are these different strategies that you can come up with that can go a long way. So I think that that's interesting. Do we have another question? Cynthia. Yes. We saw the city appoint Rhonda K. Brown as a senior strategist for arts, culture, and the creative economy. Are independent venues supported with this appointment? Uh, well, we've been we've been very vocal and involved in the in the political process, um, and the Bibb administration has been responsive. So when we heard this position was being created, we approached. Uh, Director Joyce Wong uh, at the city, who was responsible for doing the hiring, and we said, throughout this process, this this person is going to serve as an art strategist, not just for nonprofits, but for for-profit arts-based businesses and for individual artists in the community. And so we actually got onto the committee to interview the finalist candidates. And so I, I was fortunate; I was able to interview. Uh, Rhonda through the process. And one of the first meetings we made sure she had on her calendar when she came to Cleveland was to meet with the independent venues. So, so we're supportive. Uh, the language around that position is about the creative economy. It's not just the arts and culture strategists, it's arts, culture, and the creative economy. And we're just really like a broken record when it comes to making sure that when people talk about arts and culture, they understand that, as Jeremy Johnson at Assembly for the Arts now says, it's a three-legged stool. It's the arts nonprofits, but it's the arts-based businesses, and it's the individual artists that make up, make up this ecosystem. So we're supportive. We, we think she's doing a great job. She's been very uh, supportive in her outreach to the venues. 
She's, she's really gone out of her way to go out and visit neighborhoods and explore. I, I really applaud her efforts so far. Okay, great. Next question is, where does public funding come into play? Things like Cuyahoga Arts and Culture or additional support with policy from the State House? Well, it, it, to me, I'm gonna try to start reaching out to the State House. I mean, I have talked uh, to uh, several uh, state reps about, and, and Kent Smith, when he was a state rep, uh, helped get some uh, legislation into the state house, much like the, the film commission where there's tax credits. So uh, one of the things that uh, Louisiana does, um, uh, Georgia, is create tax credits for people who might invest in producing a record or mm. building a studio or a sound stage or something like that. So if we could get some private dollars and then get some support for that, um, that's where I'm, I'm headed with um, some of the things that I'm thinking of. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say we've seen the success of the film tax credit. What we also have here is we have one of the largest um, theater complexes outside of New York. And I know the theater community has looked at theatrical tax credits for, for production. So the traveling companies of Broadway shows. And I think if, if those three segments of the commercial arts can, can coalesce uh, and really sell the concept of film, theater, and music tax credits at the state level, that would be helpful. At the state level, I also look at uh, the fact that right now there are only two states that have a state-level Office of Music Economy. Texas, which is the leader, and Tennessee, as, as Cindy said, which is just five months into having their office. Wow. Uh, we don't have to be one of the last states to do it, uh, but before we can have a state-level office, uh, you know, Austin had to have a city-level office or a county-level office um, before they could before they could grow that to a state level office so unless we have a voice in government like that uh, it's going to be harder to access funding we saw with the state level arts funding that went through the Ohio Arts Council that went entirely to the nonprofit community um, that is a long conversation and it's one that that we're having in Cleveland, which is gonna be my transition to Cuyahoga Arts and Culture. Yeah. Uh, so Cuyahoga Arts and Culture, we've had the cigarette tax for 20 years. We will be asked to go to the polls next year to renew and expand that tax to support arts and culture. I've been very vocal, especially over the last 10 years about that funding, more of that funding going to individual artists because we've seen the level that goes to individual artists um, decline from 5% from to 3% to under 2% during COVID. Mm. I don't think that's the right allocation. Uh, we've seen over 20 years, that 20 years ago we didn't take equity into account when we were making decisions on how to allocate funds we learned that equity is important and that's influenced our decision making. During COVID, we learned 
that spaces like ours, who employ artists, we pay over 2,000 musicians a year to play on this stage, um, are as at risk and as in need of support as institutions that do the exact same thing we do with a different tax status. And so I, I have been aggressive in saying that before we go to the ballot to ask for a renewal for that tax, we need a public conversation about how the money is gonna be allocated. Mm -hmm. And we'll try and make our case that we are deserving of some of those funds. The county has already said, we thought you were deserving when we were handing out Arts Cares Act funding and Arts American Rescue Plan Act funding, so it's not unprecedented. But I think voters should know how that money's gonna be allocated before we're asked to renew that tax. And I, you know, I'm talking venues, but individual artists and musicians uh, need to see more of those funds as that moves forward too. Thank you. All right, we got another question. How is the music scene changing in terms of artists and musicians? Garage bands aren't as common as they used to be, so what efforts are underway to increase music education and support smaller bands, and will the census track that? Yeah, I mean, I would say yes, the census would hopefully track that as long as everybody fills out the census um, and encourage your friends to, to do that and make your voice heard because we want to meet those people. Um, I, I mean, I think there are amazing young bands coming up right now. Um, I mean, I see some energy um, with like, and, and I have to give School of Rock a lot of credit mm -hmm. because we have one of the most amazing franchises here in the city and they're training kids to play real instruments and rock and roll and then they're making bands and I you know I couldn't be happier about that um, and and they're writing songs and they're they're uh, you know asking there's there there's asking to play for nothing they just want to get going and we need more support for that um, somehow I'm trying to do that through the nonprofit we've got an incubator program where we that we just started where we're giving loans to of two thousand dollars to individuals to um, do a recording go out on tour um, market their product um, and we're doing workshops uh, all the time every month on how to sign up for royalties um, how to be in uh, your own business how to uh, make sure that uh, you're having contracts in ahead of time in case you might be able to sell one of your songs to a film or a, or a TV commercial. We're trying to build all of those knowledge bases and hopefully these young artists will learn early. Yeah, yeah. and that's Cleveland Rock's past, present, and future. I would recommend yeah. everybody go to the website and read more about that. Yeah, and, and I would say, you know, the work that Cindy's doing, especially on the music incubator side of Cleveland Rock's, you know, now that we're part of National Independent Venue Association, we've got insight into what's happening around the country. Uh, there are cities that are making serious investments in those things, and, and they're philanthropic investments. Uh, I'm, I'm now business partners through a, a national independent venue collaborative called Detour with 
folks in Wichita, Kansas, mm -hmm. and they launched their own music incubator with support of one of the Koch brothers' kids, and it's funded, the initial funding was a million dollars. They are providing not just recording support and, and training and education to the bands that are going through their incubators, they're providing tour support. They, they, because they have that kind of level of funding, they're able to acquire vans that they can lend out to the bands to export Wichita music uh, to other cities. Wichita is not the only city that's doing that, uh, but that's happening in secondary and tertiary market cities like, like the Clevelands and the Wichitas. So that needs support. I would also say there's something we do here that no other city does, and we're crossing our fingers that it's coming back. It's called the Lottery League. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For those who don't know, Cleveland, Cleveland has something called the Lottery League that brings 150 musicians together to form new bands. Uh, the, the software is set up that you can't join a band with anybody you've been in a band with before. <laughs> so it creates so cool. 40 new bands. And instead of being like a 48-hour film festival where, where, yeah, they've got time to do one song and, and perform it, we, we, in Cleveland, typically it happens during, during the worst weather months, and it's, it's several months where these bands have time to write three songs, practice together, and perform the big show in the spring. And every time that's happened, that's created these, these connections yeah. Uh, and intersections of people who hadn't necessarily played together before. And those, there are always bands that stay together coming out of that. But in addition to that, there are people who, who play together, and it may not be in their Lottery League band, but the, it, it goes on to create new energy. And so, you know, fingers crossed, we're really hoping Lottery, yes. lottery League comes Gotta back Gotta bring soon. back the Lottery yeah, League. Got right. to. I want to close it out with a final question, and this one is actually for me. Um, with 10 years of Happy Dog under your belt, this is for Sean, mm -hmm. what is your favorite moment or conversation that you've heard right here in between these walls? I'm going to put uh, you on the spot. <laughs> well, so it, there isn't a favorite, but there, there are a couple that really jump out in my mind. Um, some for good reasons, some for not as good reasons. Uh, <laughs> We did, a, we did a forum on the war in Yemen, uh, which mm. I didn't know anything about. And it was incredible. We, we were able to work with uh, Northeast Ohio Consortium of Middle East Studies. These were political science professors at universities all across Northeast Ohio to get some, some international experts on what's going on in the Middle East. So a lot of those uh, were really high high energy, high intelligence conversations and things you don't get in the general public. Um, you know, there was the time when we decided we were going to cover the new president's foreign policy inbox. Uh, this was in 2016. Uh, we didn't know how the election would turn out. Uh, C-SPAN came and covered that. And you can look it up on YouTube. We're probably the only hot dog bar in the country with a C-SPAN YouTube clip. Uh, so that one was great. Uh, there were others like the 
conversation we had about domestic terrorism, where we had uh, the local head of Black Lives Matter, the local head of the FBI office, uh, Anti-Defamation League, uh, and a few others on that panel. And I remember just uh, standing outside, hoping nobody would drive into the front of the happy dog. Uh, it was the conversation we had about Kashmir, uh, which we didn't think far enough in advance to think we would have a bar full of uh, Pakistani Muslims and, and Indian Hindu nationalists. Uh, but it was a great conversation. It was very animated. What I really love about the ones that stick out in my mind is we were, we were covering interesting topics where there were differences of opinion. And it brought people from different perspectives into the room and it was, it led to critical thinking and, it, and, and we, had, we had people on both sides of issues in the room asking questions, being respectful of, of each other but having very, very firm points of view. So for me, I, I miss those days some because I don't feel as a society that we're as able to have those experiences where we've got people with differing opinions in the same room. And I think we lose something with that. And I do want to say thank you to the City Club because like the Lottery League, no other, no other city's got something like this. Yeah. And it's because <laughs> of the commitment from the City Club. So. Yeah. Agree. Well, I think, you know, examples that you just listed, Sean, and, and something like tonight is a, is a great reason and a great reminder of why these spaces matter so much. So uh, thank you, Cindy and Sean, for joining us at the Happy Dog. Great conversation, and thank you so much. Thanks, Amanda. Great. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you, Cynthia. I think you got to ring the bell. What's that? Oh, yeah, I will. Don't worry. Don't worry. Uh, forums like this one are made possible thanks to general support, generous support from individuals like you. You can learn more about how to become a guardian of free speech and make a donation today at cityclub.org. Tonight's forum is also part of the City Club in the Community Series sponsored by Bank of America. Be sure to join the City Club this Friday, October 6th. They'll be broadcasting live on 89.7 WKSU at the Future Land Conference, Kent State University alum and film director Blitz Bazawule will talk about his upcoming movie. It's a musical reimagining the color purple produced by Oprah, Steven Spielberg, and Quincy Jones. Thank you, members and friends of the City Club, both here streaming live. I'm Amanda Rabinowitz. This forum is now adjourned. Mm -hmm.